Hi, this is Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome back to North Star Big Book. We are in episode 28. We are on 6 and 7. Step 6 is one of my favorite steps in the entire program. I'm excited to share what I've found so far on this journey about it and to guide you along. So we just finished taking our person through 4 and 5. We spent a lot of time going over all the resentments, fears, sex conduct harms, and finding out what our character defects were. Um, then we spent an hour after going over with our higher power, what we were willing to change and how we were ready to change. And now step six is about getting to the place where we realize that we want to change. And then step seven is where we ask our higher power for help with that. And then we go about the change in eight and nine, and then we continue in 10, 11 and 12. So a couple of things I wrote down, I wrote down step six. I wrote a lot of stuff down here, so if you want to just kind of squeeze it in or put it wherever you can, I wrote step six, and I wrote the word ready, because in step six, um, my job is to be ready, and we're going to go over what that means, and I found the definition, and it means completely prepared, completely prepared, or in fit condition for immediate action, so ready means completely prepared, or in fit condition for immediate action, and it also means prepared for immediate use. So ready means completely prepared or in fit condition for immediate action, prepared for immediate use. In step six and how it works, it says we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So from step three on, my experience has been that every single step, including step three, is a partnership with God. Remember we talked about that partnership that we made where that spiritual sacred contract where I'm going to do, I'm going to stay close to God and perform God's work well, and God's going to provide what I need. And that's step three. So my job is to stay close to God and do the work well, which is four through 12, and God's going to be what I need. In four, I made the searching and fearless moral inventory of myself with God's help because I can't do that by myself. In five, I admit and, and God and another person listen to what my exact nature is. And in six, I have to be ready, and God's going to remove the defects. So we're going to talk about that. what that means. Um, something else I wrote down is a question, and I wrote, How can I show God I am ready? How can I show God I am ready? And I want to share a couple of things here. So what's really important is that this immediately follows the hour we do after the fifth step where we contemplate and go over what we did. And the reason why this makes sense to do immediately right after is after we've looked at our wrongs and our part and where we fell short and how all the decisions we made based on self place us in the position to be hurt and how we realize that all roads led back to us and that even when someone did something wrong to me that the way I behaved back at them and retaliated was totally inappropriate and basically I don't know how to handle myself in situations that make me uncomfortable or that threaten anything in my life, social security or sexual. And so I resent, I harm, I'm inconsiderate, I'm selfish, I'm dishonest. I'm, you know, I'm all those things, fearful. So step six is about being ready. And something I wrote down here, and you don't need to write my name because that would be weird, but you would write your name. So I wrote the old Carly has to die for the new Carly to live. So you'll write the old blank, your name has to die for the new blank to live. And the reason why that is for me is the person I was when I got here did things that the person I am today as a result of the steps would never, ever do. The things that I did when I got here, the things I did in early sobriety, the things I did before I got here are things that I would have to make amends about on a daily basis if I did today sober. 
Um, I was uh, constantly lying. I was manipulating any situation I could. I lied to myself. I lied to other people. I didn't trust anybody. I didn't tell anyone about what was really going on. I used other people. Um, I was never on time. I was not accountable. I was an emotional wreck. I didn't respect myself or anyone else. And that that person, that Carly, had to slowly die through removing, removing, removing what was no longer helpful, what was no longer serving me in these steps and becoming what I am today. What I was afraid about in the beginning was that as I kept giving things to God and removing things that weren't working and that weren't serving me anymore, that I was going to be left with nothing, no personality, nothing. And that's just not my experience. What happens when I remove something that's no longer working is I find out what I really look like underneath. And then I realize that it's more beautiful and more sacred and authentic. And it's more of who I really am. So, um, before I get into the next story, I just want to share how this all happened. So I was lucky enough in earlier sobriety to get to go to this place called St. Joe's Retreat. And um, it's no longer. They have a similar one somewhere else. But um, I've been to other place. And even though that's great, nothing will replace this one place we went to. And they would have these things called 12-step weekends. And these were big book thumper, proud students of the book who believed and communicated that the steps were the only solution for real alcoholics. And on the weekends, you would go on the weekends and it was at this retreat center and um, somebody would present. There was a spiritual leader, like a spiritual guide or leader that was um, asked months earlier to be on the weekend. And then they picked 12 people to do each step and then a person to do the meditation and a person to do the lead. And you were there from Friday afternoon till Sunday afternoon. And it usually was very um, cleansing and beautiful. And I cried a lot and I learned a lot and I would write and take notes. And it was just mind-blowing. And um, after years of going, I started being asked to present some of the steps. And I was asked at one time to present step six. And when I would present a step, I would study the step and figure out, because you're only allowed to talk about your step, you can't talk about the one before or the one after, and basically your job is for 15 or 10 minutes to explain the step and your experience with it, so the group can understand the step from your perspective, and then they split off into groups and talk about it, so step six was my step, and I was so grateful that it was my step, because it, it taught me a lot about that step, and um, my one of my sponsors believes strongly in metaphors. That's why I talk about the fire and the burning building and the hallway for cleaning out everything. Um, this is one of probably one of the first metaphors that I would share about a step. And this is about the server and the plate. So I wrote down on the top of 76 story and then I wrote server and plate in quotation marks. And you're very welcome to share it. It's I'm not owning anything. I just want to pass it on. So I was... Um, a restaurant server for about six years in and out of sobriety. I loved being a restaurant server. I worked at many different restaurants. And at my end, um, towards the end of my serving, I worked at a really nice restaurant called Fire. And it was one of my favorite jobs. And the restaurant was a, a casual to fine dining, um, not super fancy, but it was nice and it was expensive. It was a kind of place where you know, you have one thing in front of you and then the server comes and takes it away and cleans up the area and puts on new silverware and gets ready for the next course. There's not like a bunch of empty, dirty dishes on there. Um, and I picture myself sitting at a two-top and there's me and nobody I'm sitting with and there's the butcher block paper, white butcher block paper. And um, I have to think to myself that a good server 
knows when their diner, their, you know, one of their customers is done eating and when their plate can be removed. And that there's some pretty clear signs that action that the diner does. They either move the plate away from them so that it's pushed towards the center. They put their silverware down or their napkin down and they're not touching it. They go on talking, their hands are in their lap or they're drinking whatever they're having and they're not touching the plate. And that means that the server can walk by and take it away from them. And in a really good restaurant with a really good server, the server doesn't even have a conversation with the diner. It's just very clear and they take it away. Um, that way the diner knows that this, this customer is ready to have it removed and ready for their next plate. And then usually they need to sit there and be have nothing in front of them before the server brings the next course. So I think of God like a really good server. And I think that God walks by my table and hears me saying, will you take away my stuff? Will you take away my plate? Will you take away my plate? But walks by and sees me with my fork touching the plate and moving the food around and taking my finger and swiping it and getting some of the sauce and picking up the plate and moving it around and licking it. And that is a clear indication to God, my good server, that I'm not done with my food and God's not going to take something away even if I say take this away because I'm still eating off of it. And so my job in step six is how do I show God I'm ready to have it removed? So one big example I always use about step six, which is true, was my, I I have always um, had a really hard time with my sex conduct. I got sober at 19 and a half and I was in college and then I was in the rooms of AA, young and sober and horny and lonely and bored. And I went after a lot of new guys. And if you were young and new and sick and tattooed, I would want to date you. Um, and the sicker you were and the darker you were, the more I was going to enjoy it. And, um, I caused a lot of drama and a lot, my reputation did not go well and it was not awesome and my deepest heart's desire which is what it always is is to have a partner and a soulmate and a lover and a best friend which I think many of us have that desire in certain ways and I would say to the women in AA where is he when am I going to meet him why do I keep ending up with all these jerks or these losers and they would tell me I had a bad picker and they would tell me that I'm focusing on the wrong thing and that I needed to get a good relationship with God and in AA bad motives get you good results and so I said okay if I need a good good relationship with God then to get a man then I'll do that and so because I wanted to get a a good man I worked on my relationship with God and while I was sick of doing inventories about my sex conduct and the harm I was doing instead of figuring out how to not go after sick guys because I didn't know how to do that I focused on going after sick girls and I would go after new girls and I would take them through the book and through the steps and I would work with them and I would run with them and we would hang out together and I would call them and we would be like, you know, we would be together. And I was, I was busy working with the new girls. God saw that I was no longer eating off of and playing off of the plate of the new boys. And eventually at some point, God took away my desire to be attracted to new young sick guys. And, um, it was removed because God saw that I wasn't using it anymore. And so that question I think of when I think of the sixth step is how do I need to show God I'm done? So whatever I'm struggling with. So if you can think of something you're currently struggling with that you don't want to have anymore in your life, you don't want to live like anymore, but you don't know how to make it go away because we can't make our defects go away. The question is how can I show God that I'm ready for God to remove this? So what is it going to look like? Um, 
for me, when I tried to quit smoking in AA, and this is not a judgment on people who smoke, I loved smoking if it didn't cause cancer or make my skin wrinkly or make my breath smell or cause me to not be able to breathe as an athlete, I would smoke because I loved smoking. And when I tried to quit smoking, I would pray while I was on my way to work and I would smoke and I would say, God, please give me the willingness to quit smoking because all the smokers told me that that's what you should do when you want to quit smoking. As they were smoking, they told me that. And so I was doing that and God would walk by and go, I hear you saying, give me the willingness to quit smoking. But then I come by to see if you're ready and you're smoking. So let me know when you're ready. So how is God going to know I'm ready to quit smoking? God's going to see me not picking up a cigarette. God's going to see me putting water in my mouth. God's going to see me exercising and living a clean life. And God's going to see me being busy in other areas. And then God's going to go, oh, she was really serious. I'm going to help her with that mental obsession. And so it's a partnership. And so step six is about how do I show God I am ready? So this tool we learn in step six then we ask god in step seven and then we move on to eight and nine but it's the principle of the tool of step six about how do i show god i'm ready is going to be in 10 11 and 12 for the rest of my life i'm going to use that for the rest of my life how do i show god i'm ready to let go of this and for me that's just a really good tool so it says and i wrote above 76 above the paragraph step six it says if we can answer to our satisfaction we then they're talking about that we did everything we need to do in the fifth step. If we can answer to our satisfaction, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. I underline the next two sentences. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? I highlighted that word ready. And I underlined, can he now take them all, everyone? So God's going to take them. God's going to remove them. My job is to be ready. How is God going to know I'm ready? So that's going to be an action. God needs to see action. So if I say I'm going to come pick you up for the meeting and I beep at the at your driveway and it's 7 o'clock and we have to be there for 7.30 and I beep and you don't come out and I go to the door and you're like on the couch in your jammies watching Netflix with like food everywhere and I'm like, dude, what's going on? I thought we are going and you're like, I'm not, I didn't, I'm not ready. And I would be frustrated and I would be like, well let's get ready or should I go by myself? And so how do I want to look if I'm asking God for help? Do I want to look like someone who's ready? What does that look like in each situation where I'm struggling? And when I did this the first time with my inventory after my fifth step, my hour, I can open up my journal. I can write about in specific areas. Like if I no longer want to be somebody who snaps at my dad at work, what is that going to look like? How is God going to know I'm ready? What is it going to look like, the change? And so the change for me was like putting little signs up by my phone at my desk to remind me to not take anything personally and that my actions matter and that when he would say something, I would pause. I like had plans of action so I could not be that person anymore. And eventually it didn't become something I had to think about. It just became normal to behave differently. So it says, if we still cling to something, so they're acknowledging that you might cling to something, we will not let go. We ask God to help us be willing. So that's what we do in step six. The next step is step seven. The next paragraph I wrote above it, step seven. I made a big line to separate those two. Now we're on step seven. You see it's only one paragraph. But the idea, the idea that am I ready? What is it going to look like? How How's God going to know? And then I can ask for help if I'm not ready. It says, when ready, we say something like this. And when they're talking about ready for what? Ready, ready to change. Six and seven are about changing. 
Are you ready to change the way that you act and the way that you think? And I highlighted or underlined the prayer. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. That's the reason why we're asking that. Because we don't want anything to stand in the way of my usefulness anymore. And I underline, grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. So I wrote on the side, tool, and I wrote prayer. So that, that prayer is now a new tool in my spiritual toolkit. And I wrote underneath it to help me change. So I do step seven in this prayer. I do it one time. And then I can use this prayer, this beautiful prayer, as a tool anytime I want. But the book says we have then completed step seven. I underline completed because it tells me it's over. So six is, am I ready? What does it look like? How is God going to know? Seven is the prayer, and then it's over. I can use those two ideas, those tools, those principles. What does it look like to be ready? Ask God if you're not ready, and then ask God if you are. Those are tools I can use for the rest of my sobriety. I wrote on the side next to seven, the journey of change is an inside job. The journey of change is an inside job. Um, and then we're going to go to step eight. So you see it's real quick here. I un I made a big line to separate six, seven, and eight. And then the next paragraph I wrote above it, step eight. Eight only is going to be one, two, three, four, five, six lines down. So if you count six lines down from the word now to where it says ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal, I underlined ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. And then I made a little dash where it says now and I went back up to we subjected because step eight stops at self-appraisal. So I want you to kind of square that off and I'll read it. And this is step eight. Now we need more action. I underline the word now and they're telling me the time frame after step seven of when I should do step eight. So if you want to know how long after step seven to wait until you do step eight, the book says now. We need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at, I underline steps eight and nine. We have a list. I underline the word have. So I don't that means I should not burn my fourth step. I should not send it in a bottle in the sea. I should not bury it in the yard. I should not burn it in the fireplace. If you have a sponsor that tells you to do that, they're not going to be from the book. Because the book tells me I need this list in order to make my eighth and ninth step list, to make amends, and that it holds the key to the future. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. I underlined the word amends and I wrote above it repair. That's what amends means, not I'm sorry. Amends does not mean I'm sorry. It means repair. If you hit me with your car and you hit my bumper and my bumper falls off and you say, I'm so sorry I did that, I'll be like, thanks, I need your insurance because and your phone number and information and your license information because I need you to fix my bumper. So until you fix my bumper with your insurance information or your own money, your sorry means absolutely nothing to me. I need you to fix my car. I need you to repair the damage you did. I wrote on the side, two lifetimes in one lifetime. Two lifetimes in one lifetime. The reason why we get to live two lifetimes in one lifetime is we did this first lifetime that was selfish and self-centered and inconsiderate and we were like a storm and we caused damage and people didn't want to be near us and they didn't trust us and we weren't accountable. We were exhausting. And then when we do these steps and we clean up the mess 
that we created out of our own effort and we try to make things better and we repair the damage we did and we go about our day and we try to make other people's days better. We get to live another lifetime, which is I'm accountable. I'm reliable. People trust me. They're grateful for my presence. I bring light. I bring joy. I have hard times and I show people how to use God and the tools through them. I get to live two different lifetimes in one lifetime. And that is through steps eight and nine predominantly. So people are always talking about four and five. They're the big deal steps. Really, the big deal step is step nine because I'm going to go fix things. So it says, I underline, we made it when we took inventory. So that's where we get it from. And I underline, we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. So that's step eight. So we're done with step eight. I'm going to explain now how we do step eight out of the book. So if you have a piece of paper near you and you've never seen an eight-step list, then please grab that. The paper should be up and down, vertical, or not horizontal, not the long way. And I'm going to make four columns. On the, the first column on the top is going to, and they're kind of skinny because you don't need a lot of space. The first column is going to say who, and then make a big line. The second column is going to say now. The middle column is going to say later, and then the last column is going to say never. And then I'm going to make skinny lines horizontally across so I can write each person from my inventory list. So you're going to have your four step out after you do that. So again, the first column is going to say who, the second column is going to say now, the third column is going to say later, and the fourth column is going to say never. I'll explain it all. You take your four-step sheet out. You look at all your resentments. You copy every single person from your resentments onto your eighth-step who column. So mom, dad, sister, brother, John, Jane, Jill, teacher, Cleveland, AA, self, whatever. Have everybody down there. Once you've written down all your resentment um, first column into the eighth-step first column, go to your fear. If there's anyone that you don't have on that is on your fear that wasn't on your resentment, put them down. If there's things like, I'm afraid of being alone, put that down. Put every single thing from your first column on your fourth step into your first column. Same with the sex conduct. If you've got someone in your sex conduct that was not on your resentment or fear, put them in the first column. And then all your harm should be in the first column. You don't need to repeat your mom or your dad or yourself four times. You just need to write them one time. This whole process will take 30 minutes at the most. So... This should be done as soon as the seventh step is done. I usually give the instructions for how to do this um, after the sponsee calls or texts me that they did their seventh step. If you guys do it together, you can do it right then. The A step does not need to be done with the sponsor. The A step should be done with the, the person that's doing the work and their higher power. And then you go over the eighth step with your sponsor after. After you've written every single person down from the first, from the resentment, fear, sex, and harms column, you think to yourself, is there anyone else I'm leaving off? There shouldn't be because those cover all of them. Then what we do, what was suggested to me, is we look at each person. So mom, and we pray to our, our higher power and we close our eyes and we picture that person and we think to ourselves, am I ready to make amends to her now, later, or never? And the first thought that comes through your mind, put a check in that column. Don't judge it. Don't worry about it. Um, you have to read everything to your sponsor anyways. So if you say never and your sponsor says, no, you owe amends to your mom, don't worry about it. We'll figure that out later. If you don't think you owe amends to somebody, write never. If you're ready to make amends to them right now and you know you owe them amends, write now. And if you know you owe them amends but you're not ready to make the amends yet, write later. 
So you're going to do that with each person. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to pray. You're going to picture the person. You're going to ask yourself, what's my knee-jerk reaction? Am I ready to make amends to my ex-boyfriend now, later, or never? Am I ready to make amends to my teacher from high school now, later, or never? And just put each person down and put a check next to one column. Let's imagine that that's all done. And then we meet with a sponsee. You can either do it on the phone or in person. The goal is that you want to do it with the same person that you did the fifth step with because they just heard everything and we want to be able to guide them. I personally don't read through the entire eighth step that someone has all at once. I think it's really overwhelming. So what I usually do is I read about like five or six together and then we pick two amends a week for them to do. Um, And then once they've gotten through those five or six, I say to them, who's next? And then they give me another five or six and we pick two of those. And the goal is that we, our goal is that we do two a week. And the reason why I chose that and you can do whatever you want is because I think it's manageable and it's not overwhelming, but it also can get the job done. We always want to pick the people that we're more willing to make amends to first, that are less emotional and that are, we maybe haven't seen in a while. We want to go make amends. And that is because it makes the process easier. So let's go back to 76. And it says now, after self-appraisal. So this is step nine. So I wrote on the side step nine. So everything after self-appraisal is step nine. So we're going to go through that. It'll take a, you know, we'll do that next week also. I'm going to go over it now a little bit. And then we're going to keep going um, through step nine. So it says, I circle the word now. Because again, here's the time frame. Now we go out to our fellows, I underlined, and repair the damage done in the past. I circle that word repair. There it is again. We're not talking about saying sorry. In fact, I never say I'm sorry in an amends. The closest I've ever come to using the word sorry in amends is I tell someone, I'm so sorry that you had to deal with all of that because of me. I can't imagine what that must have been like or how painful that must have been. But I don't say I'm sorry to them because those words, if you've been around an alcoholic enough, are like, they're just useless because we say it all the time and it's meaningless and it doesn't make it right. So what I do say is after I've sat down with someone is I say to them, the way that I treated you was wrong. I, I, you did not deserve to be treated like that. I harmed you and I want to know what I can do to make it right. We never make an amends without talking to our sponsor about how to do it. And if it's time, I didn't do that. I didn't listen. And I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Um, so it says, now we go out to the to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. I underline, we attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. A couple of things here. It says we attempt because not every time that we try to make amends to someone does somebody want to see us. So it's an attempt. If somebody doesn't want to see us, we cannot force ourselves upon them because that is not being respectful. And sometimes we can't make a, make it better. You know, I know of someone in AA who killed a young child with his car when he was drunk driving. He said he wasn't even drunk that day. He maybe had a couple of beers, but it was just enough to make it so he wasn't paying attention. He said that um, he'd never seen that nine-year-old boy before that day, but since he killed him, he's never not seen him in his mind since every single day. He can't repair that damage because that boy's gone. And there's zero things he can do to bring him back. But he did his time in jail and he's gone on speaking panels and he um, has tried to make amends to the parent and they don't want to see him and he has to respect that. Um, But what he does is he goes around, you know, like to the country to students and talks about what he did. 
and how he killed someone with his car drunk driving and how it happened to him and um, tells his story and he can't ever make it better but he can do his part so it's an attempt so it says um, I also double underline our efforts. So it says we attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will. Remember, self-will is about our thinking. Our We're running the show and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. And then this last sentence is a prayer. I wrote prayer and I underlined and highlighted. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And I double underline any lengths because at this point we forget that we said that and we're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to make amends with those people. And we get nervous and we start freaking out. And the good news is if you're with a good sponsor who knows how to do this, they're going to work with you on the ones that you're willing to make amends to first and you work on those, all those first. And then you work on the ones that you're willing to do later, next. And then by the time you've gotten through the first two columns, you'll be more willing. It just always happens to make amends to the never ones because you see the results and they're worth it. I wrote on the side, do I want to live, it's kind of long, do I want to live on earth, do I want to live on earth in harmony or disharmony? Do I want to live on earth in harmony or disharmony? And then I wrote page 61, that's where it's from, and then in, in quotation marks I wrote producer of confusion, producer of confusion, that's what they talked about us being, which is totally what I was so do I want to live on earth in harmony or disharmony do I want to keep being responsible for causing problems or do I want to be responsible for fixing things and bringing light um, we are going to stop right here and next week we're going to start on step nine thank you so much for your time I hope you have an amazing week it's up to you